Welcome to Credo, with me, Father Andrew Eben, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. As we come towards the end of the Creed, we arrive at the start of our faith, at the article devoted to baptism. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this teaching has been central to the life of the Church since the day of her birth. On the Church's birthday, the day of Pentecost, St. Peter stands up and tells the crowds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is, if you like, the first definitive action necessary to become a Christian, to become a member of that new Church, the action of being baptized, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Peter's invitation to the crowd reflects, of course, the teaching of Jesus himself, who tells us that baptism is necessary for salvation. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And because of that necessity of baptism, Jesus tells us to baptize everyone. His final instructions to the disciples at the Ascension are what we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that universal call is again echoed by St. Peter on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you. So, baptism necessary for salvation and offered to everyone. And of course, we only do it once. The Creed confesses our belief in one baptism, and the number is significant, just the one of them. It is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It changes the soul. Your baptism imprints on your soul an indelible spiritual sign or mark which can never be taken away. St. Augustine actually compares this to the tattoos Roman soldiers receive to show which legion they belong to. So baptism is the Holy Spirit tattooing your soul. And that indelible mark means we can't be rebaptized and we're not baptized all over again if we convert to Catholicism. Now, the Church is rightly very careful about safeguarding the giving and receiving of the sacraments and uh, imposes different conditions to make sure it is done properly. But in the case of baptism, the bar she sets is pretty low. Uh, the minimum requirements for a valid baptism is that the minister pours water over the person to be baptized while saying the Trinitarian formula given by Christ with the name of the person. So John or Jean or Giovanni, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you see that Trinitarian formula of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, traditionally that was just how baptisms were done. No matter what Christian tradition you were born into, so Anglican baptisms or Methodist baptism or whatever would be valid, and you're definitely not rebaptized when becoming a Catholic. Well, in fact, we should probably point out there is no such thing as rebaptism. You either are or you aren't. We should also say, however, that more recently some Christian traditions are a bit more liberal 
about what they say during baptism, and they might not use the Trinitarian formula. So, for example, if a minister said, I baptize you in the name of the Creator and of the Redeemer and of the Sanctifier, which sometimes happens, that would not be a valid baptism because you are not using the Trinitarian formula given by Christ. Most of us, of course, were baptized as children, and that's a practice that dates from the very earliest days of the church. Nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus restrict baptism to adults, or indeed exclude children, from the practice of the faith generally. And so we take literally the accounts of family baptism in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. So, for example, the baptism of Lydia, who was, and I quote, baptized with her household, or the baptism of St. Paul's jailer, who kneels before his prisoner, Paul, and asks what he must do to be saved. And scripture says, and he was baptized at once with all his family. And indeed, there's plenty of evidence for infant baptism in the early centuries of the church. What comes along with infant baptism, however, is uh, the uncertainty about whether the child will actually grow up to practice his or her faith. The ones who take responsibility for this, the guarantors, if you like, of the child's future practice of the faith, are, of course, the parents and godparents. That's their job. But that guarantee is not absolute. There's no absolute guarantee, but perhaps particularly today, that the child will not fall away from the faith, or indeed ever practice it regularly. But you know, in the Catholic Church, we are all, in a way, converts or reverts, one might say. All of us either coming to the church as new disciples or as renewed disciples. And that's partly a reflection of our own era. We live, that is, in an era of extraordinary personal fluidity and instability. Perhaps I shouldn't say extraordinary because it is now quite normal. But what I mean by personal fluidity and instability is simply that most people these days won't have, for example, one single career that lasts, say, 40 years or more. Many people will have two careers, or even three. Most people won't live in one place and stay there all their lives. And many people won't have one significant spousal relationship, whether that is a marriage or a secular version of it. Many people will have two or even three. Again, I'm not passing judgment on this. I'm just observing that this is how things are today. And by the same token, comparatively few people are brought up in a practicing Catholic family and continue to practice their faith in a committed way all the way from childhood to old age. People come to faith and fall away from it. People come to the church and fall away from her. The Vatican II Council emphasized, uh, prophetically really, the need for continual repentance. That the church herself, and I'm quoting here from Lumen Gentium, the church herself, always in need of being purified, always follows the way of penance and renewal. We are a church of continual repentance a church of continual turning and returning to the Lord. And that's important. Most of us can identify a time in our lives when we started to take our faith seriously, and we can give thanks for that. 
whether we are baptized as an infant or an adult, we are all of us, either converts or reverts, coming to faith or coming back to it, coming to the church or coming back to her. And although we are not and cannot be rebaptized, there can be, however, a time, a beautiful, momentous, grace-filled time, when we come to take seriously our baptismal vows, perhaps for the first time after many years, perhaps for the first time ever. And we even have an annual opportunity to do that, which takes place at the great Mass of Easter, the Easter Vigil. That Mass is the traditional time for new converts to enter the Catholic Church and to be baptized as well if they're converting from a non-Christian way of life or if they weren't baptized as a child. Easter, the Feast of the Resurrection, is the perfect time for this. The Church, following the teaching of St. Paul, has always seen baptism as an analogy to the resurrection. We go down with Christ into the waters, immersed in his death, and we rise with him to new life, having been reborn of water and the Holy Spirit. And at the Easter Vigil, the entire congregation is invited to share in that new life and to renew their own baptismal promises. So the priest, during the Mass, asks the whole congregation, Do you renounce Satan? And everyone answers, I do. And all his works? I do. And all his empty show? I do. And then the priest takes the congregation through the creed in question and answer format, uh, always with this answer, I do, this public proclamation. So the priest says, Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, Congregation says, I do, and so on and so forth. So if it has been a long time since you reflected on your baptism, on your baptismal promises, and reflected on the new life to which you are called in baptism, I do encourage you to go to the Easter Vigil and stand up and make that public renewal of vows. It can be a real awakening of faith in our lives. But if we can get back now to the Creed, uh, the Creed's article talks about baptism for the forgiveness of sin. So let's just finally now address this particular question of the removal of sin. Now, as to what happens at baptism, if we are baptized as adults, for example, we have for a short while no sin at all. The old Roman Catechism is helpfully straightforward on this point, telling us that when we were baptized, there remained in us absolutely nothing left to efface, neither original sin nor offences committed by our own will. So all sin gone. Fantastic. However, we do not stay in this condition very long. Baptism removes original sin, but it does not remove the consequences of original sin. So if you think about the original sin of Adam and Eve, that original turning against God, following our own path and agenda and not his, that original sin had catastrophic consequences. It changes human nature, that nature which every human being inherits. You can think about it this way. Uh, there is a time when we live in paradise, in complete harmony with God and his divine life, so there is no death, there is no illness, there is no labor. Original sin 
is a cataclysmic severing of that harmonious relationship with God. It changes the very nature of human life and it brings in the consequences of those changes, which are, for example, death, hunger, thirst, all those things that are absent from life in paradise, and it brings in what we call concupiscence, the tendency to sin, or as St Paul describes it more graphically, being slaves to our own desires. So while baptism, whether as an adult or a child, removes original sin, but it does not remove the consequences of original sin. We are still subject to concupiscence, still likely to become slaves to our own desires rather than God's desires for us, and still therefore very much likely to sin. If you are baptised as an adult, you will probably not need to go to confession for a while because you are free from sin, but you will need to go pretty soon. Because you are still subject to concupiscence, to the following of your own will and desires rather than God's, it will not, alas, be very long before you do commit sin and you do need to go to confession. Well, make sure you do go. That's all I can say. Make sure you do go. We have in confession this beautiful counterpart to the sacrament of baptism, the opportunity to renew that forgiveness of sins, the perfect weapon in our ongoing battle with the devil and with our own weakness and our concupiscence, the perfect means of helping us as we learn, little by little, to love God more, learn to love and to be loved by him, and learn to follow him just that little more closely. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Do join me again next week as we look at the very last article of the Creed and perhaps take a look back over the journey we have made. May God bless you all, and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we have been making together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.